What's up, guys? It's time to go Behind the Bum. What's up, guys? Welcome to this episode of Behind the Bum. This episode, I came across a social media account this past week, and his name is Charlie Van Helstenen. I definitely flipped that up, but I really hope I did a good job. Um, He's from Johannesburg, South Africa, and he is a recent survivor of testicular cancer and also won Mr. Gay World South Africa. So I have a lot of questions for you, Charlie. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So where do I begin? I mean, I see you have a new um, quarantine buddy. I do. I do. This is Reese. Um, Rescue. He's adapting to the new life of living in a home from, he used to be a rescuer, uh, a bait dog in a rescue, a fighting ring. So he's oh, kind of really happy at home. Is, did you name him after like Reese Witherspoon by any chance? <laughs> no. I didn't. He just looked like a Reese. He just looked like a Reese, you know. I mean, when I think of Reese, I think of like a bad bitch with light hair. So I guess that counts. Yeah, he's a pretty bad bitch. You know, he takes off his bad. <laughs> so, Charlie, why don't I start with, like, how old are you now and how old were you when you came out? Okay, so I'm now 29 years old. I, <gasps> sorry, I, Reese, come I came out, you see, there's a bit there going. So I'm 29 years old. I came out when I was 17 years old. Um, so young. In a vi- in a very conservative, um, what we call in Africa, in Africa an Afrikaans community. So very conservative, um, very uh, not used to anything different or anything out there. Um, raised by an amazing single mother who is just my absolute world. Oh, that's so adorable. I mean, I, I take, I guess, a lot of my values of who I am and what I've been able to achieve is due to being raised by such an amazing uh, mother who had to go through so much to raise two boys all by herself. And I pull a lot of inspiration from her strength, um, even till today, with anything that I'm currently facing or that may come in the future to how to handle it um, going forward. So when you came out to her, how did she take it? My mother took it very well. I'm still currently, even till now, the only gay person, out gay person in my family. And coming out was a really great experience for me when it came to my mother, because I'll never forget her words. Her words were, I love you unconditionally. I love you no matter what. That will never change no matter who you are, what you do, what happens in life. And I think that's just exactly what I needed to hear. Because we all, as gay men, or gay as a gay person go through that thought before we come out, you know, what if we are rejected by our family or friends or loved ones? What do we do when that unconditional safe space, safe love is put into question of, is it unconditional? And I think having that, knowing that my mom's gonna be there no matter what, is what gave me that strength I had to, to be like, you know what? If my mom accepts me, I don't have to worry about anything else. I can just be who I am. It definitely gives you like an extra push to like, I thought even for my family though, like when I came out, I thought it was, I don't know why I felt like this, but I, you see gay people on whatever, right? TV, the internet, and we're talking like 10 years ago, right? So I always wanted to like prove to my family that if I was gay, like I'm still Jeff. 
You know what I mean? Like yeah. just because I'm gay, I'm not the perception you see on TV. And so I feel like I've tried very hard to keep myself the same. Obviously we all get a little more eccentric and like, you know, some things might come out when I'm like around the crew, but <laughs> around my family, I've kept it like who I am, which I didn't get lost in the mix of coming out, which I appreciate. I think it's, I mean, absolutely. I do a big part of myself. I mean, now I'm very much more settled in who I am because once we as gay people come out, that's only like what I call the puberty of our big, of our life, you know, only oh, then yes. are we kind of discovering who we are, what we like, what we don't like, um, what kind of personality traits, you know, we go through all those mistakes so we can grow. And I do believe, and this is something maybe I find personally from the previous generation of how they were conditioned, is just that exactly like you said, now we didn't want to be like those the way that homosexual people were um, projected on TV or on radio and stuff like that. But that's the problem that I do believe that there's conditions to when we came out, like, oh, we don't want to be like that kind of gay or we don't want to be like that kind of person. And we shouldn't restrict ourselves thinking like coming out to our family, like, okay, well, I want to maintain exactly who my family sees me as. We should be able to be 100% free and not restrict ourselves to say, okay, well, I don't be my family to see me as that kind of gay person because they might see that as a negative gay person or influence in the family. That's a good point. That makes sense. That is a good point. Well, tell me a little bit about Mr. Gay World South Africa. How does one receive that title? Uh, Well, Mr. Mr. Gay World South Africa, it's very much, there's two factors that go, that benefit towards becoming the title holder. Half of it is very much of your involvement in the community. Um, what are you involved in? What do you believe in? What do you stand for? Um, the other half is very much based on the community voting for you and community seeing you as someone that they want to represent the community and have a voice for the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, and, and through the years, I've thought about entering the competition, but I've never quite felt ready like I had a platform for or a message that I wanted to get out there that I really strongly believed in and felt like this is what I stand for, no matter what, what comes on way or who says what, that this will be my being. And I believe after having testicular cancer and having to rebuild my life and facing mortality and, and you know, all those things, like if I die now, there's still so much I want to do and achieve and see and hear and people I want to meet and experiences that if I die now, I don't get to do that. Yeah. And it starts as it becoming about, but it's not just about me. It becomes about what am I doing for someone else? Am I making my mom proud? All the sacrifices she made. Am I making sure that it doesn't go to waste because everything she did sacrifice to raise me, like I appreciate. The people out there who need a voice, who are suffering depression or, or anxiety, they need someone to be able to stand up and be like, okay, he overcame so much adversity in his life that if he can do it, I can do it. And that's what it kind of becomes about where it's not about you. It's about what you can do for others and how you can inspire others out there. Um, and that's what drives me, I guess, to have wanted to enter because I felt I now have a platform. I have something I believe in. I have something that I want to, I feel strong enough to speak up for the community and represent them in the best capacity that I'm able to represent them in. So when we talk about the gay community though, I feel like we don't get a lot of 
information and we're not taught anything. You know what I mean? Like we're pretty much thrown into the world and we have to figure everything out for ourselves. Right. So like, for example, I mean, I want to hear your whole story, but before we get too far into it, when you found out you had testicular cancer, how knowledgeable were you on that topic at all? I think a lot of us like to think I'm pretty clued up on a lot when it comes to even cancer or when it comes to HIV, um, all these kind of things that we, we in our years of school and education, we feel we'd be pretty clued up. So when I was first diagnosed, I thought I was pretty clued up saying, okay, well, this is what it's like, but it's a hot, every single person, every single situation is so unique that my, all my knowledge that I thought I had or that I knew was completely turned upside down. And it also becomes that fight or flight kind of situation, you know, like, am I going to fight this or am I going to give in to what's happening um, in my body right now? And I guess it's all about knowledge, right? At the end of the day, the more you know, the, the better you can do. And I had to immediately get that knowledge. So it's all about don't wait. The sooner you detect if you do have cancer or cancerous cells, the better rate your survival is. And that's what's important is because we all face that shame factor because when it comes to specifically testicular cancer, it's such a delicate place, subject, shall we say, you know, to have someone up in your junk that you're not giving consent to basically. And I had to face that like, okay, well, am I either gonna re ignore this very clear visible sign that my body's giving me that I, there's something is wrong just because I'm too ashamed or scared that someone might see my testicles or my, my business, you know? Um, and I had to get over that uncomfortable feeling of, you know, it's, it's a doctor. They have to see it, they've seen worse. So definitely worse. <laughs> and the, and the, the, the biggest thing that people don't understand is when you have a health thing that it's affecting your health, it's, if you don't get it sorted and you don't know what's going on, it starts affecting your mental health as well because you're living fear and anxiety all the time, which can cause depression and, it can, and, and go into so many other aspects of your life. So the sooner you have the knowledge of what is going on with your body, when you got that gut instinct, something is wrong, listen to that gut instinct. You know, no matter how awkward it is or uncomfortable it is, listen to the gut instinct, go see your doctor. And from there, it was just a whirlwind of, it was actually a blur because it was from one place to the next place to the next place. But at the end of the day, because I put my ego and my pride aside, I saved my life by early detection. So at what, at what point did you, like, what did you notice that gave you a red flag that was like, I think something's wrong. I mean, I get people know their body better than anyone else is gonna know your body. You know what I mean? Like, you know when you're sick, you know when something's up, but like, what did you feel that you knew like, oh, something's wrong? Well, well, for, for me, so I've actually had testicular cancer and I've had lymphoma. So I've had long-term cancer treatments in my life. And there's so many, again, like I said, each kind of um, case of cancer is so, special and individual and significant to who that person is and the lifestyle that they kind of live. And my first mistake when I realized something was wrong was in 2018. And like most boys, we just have our hands in our pants because, you know, 
we're boys. We like, it's, it's like I'm an accessory. I'm always chilling with my hands in my pants. Exactly. You know, you got to hold on to your goods. You know, you might just run away or something. We're always so scared. So <laughs> it was literally after I had a, the summer, I had, a, had a, a shower. I was lying on the couch watching some RuPaul, had my hands on my pants. No funny business. But I immediately felt that on my left testicle, something was wrong. There was a very small, felt like a frozen pea on my left testicle and about behind the left testicle. And immediately, like, my body just shot warning signs of red flags, something is wrong. And the more I felt it, it's not necessarily that it got bigger. It's not necessarily that I was in pain, but I could feel that that was not supposed to be there. And Like, it felt like that's, a ball, almost? Yeah, so it's like a little frozen pee. What, what I experienced was like a little tiny little frozen pee. Well, when I say frozen, frozen because it's hard. So it felt like a hard little, like a little marble kind of pee, um, size of a pee that was on the left testicle. And with the knowledge that I have, I knew that wasn't that wasn't right. Something was wrong. Um, immediately did some research, and you know we all like like to play online doctor, but at the end of the day, when you know something, your gut's telling you something's wrong. Follow it. And also one of the the the, the signs that um that I was experiencing was fatigue. I was constantly tired, and someone who is in the fitness industry and I've always been very active and I've always been able to run and fit and stuff like that. To be experiencing such fatigue of weeks of just sleeping was also an, a, another red flag that something was not right with my body and yeah. something that was attacking me from the inside. So how long before you saw a doctor did it take well, you? I, mean, I, I remember making the appointment two days after, so I felt that evening and two days after I made the appointment and the doctors could only see me like the next week. And I remember going up and down the whole time. I want to cancel the appointment. You know, don't worry, it'll go away. Just cancel. I kept feeling obsessing about it. Um, and eventually, the gut instinct just saying, you know what, Charlie, just go. And I think I went, I called the Wednesday. Was, I could only go in. No, I called the Friday. I could only get in, go in on the Wednesday. And she immediately, she didn't even really, it was my GP. I had a female GP. And she didn't really even examine it too much where I could see in her reaction alone when she had felt it, the reaction on her face told me something was up. And yeah. she had then sent me to get um, blood tests and a sonar and, and all those kind of things. And at that stage, you have all these different people up in your junk and in your private business and, and no one has answers for you because no one really knows what we're dealing with quite yet. So you, you're petrified. No one's in this room with you but yourself. No yeah. one has answers for you and you're freaking out because with the more no one's telling you what's going on, the more you think the worse it is. Of course. But going through, I'm still, I still don't regret going through the process because I know rushing that process gave me early detection and that's what saved my life. So at what age, I mean, after talking to doctors, at what age do they advise you start going to get checked for things like this? Because I mean, you're only 29. So I would never think a 29 year old and at the time 27 year old is getting testicular cancer, you know? Well, this this is again, the, the, the shock factor, I guess, where we all think, you know, when you're young, you have your whole life ahead of you, all your health. But it's actually men who are younger that are more prone to specifically testicular cancer. Um, men be, young boys between the ages of 15 and men be, up to the age of 40 are more prone to testicular cancer than any other cancer, actually. So I always, knowing what I know now and the knowledge that I have now is the moment your child, male or female, start hitting puberty. You know, obviously they go for regular checkups there, but puberty, 
I believe a lot starts going on in your body. And from then, they need to understand as a young adult, as a teenager going through hormones, what's happening in their body and how to look for signs of cancer and all these kind of things. So I always say when your child hits puberty, start educating them, let them get education, let them start getting comfortable with doctors so that they never have to be afraid of a doctor. Yeah. Well, I think especially now with like COVID and everything, I think everyone's just very like scared to even like leave their house. You know what I mean? So like the thought of going to get a physical, like I can't imagine the amount of missed appointments that have occurred this year from people who like should have got a physical or should have got this done or like even like women getting like a mammogram or something. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like everybody skipped out on their appointments because they're scared to go to those kind of places Mm -hmm. thinking like, they're COVID hotspots, if you will. You know what I mean? So, and, and fair enough. So, I mean, uh, looking just alone in my country, um, the more wealthier areas are the hotspots, you know? And it's, and it's again because people are like, it's, there's so much happening, they're too scared now to go up because of the big hotspots happening in, the, in these areas. And people, again, like myself, who have a compromised immune system because of chemo and cancer, or, or people who have got HIV or um, immune, autoimmune deficiency uh, diseases, are terrified, are absolutely terrified to go anywhere. But again, is we have to live in the reality that we need to know that our body's better. So it's about looking after yourself physically, mentally emotionally what you're putting in your body what you're putting inside your mind you need to be able to read your body because again early detection saves lives with absolutely so many different diseases out there and i believe knowing your body is the only way is the first sign of saving your life so if somebody wants to check themselves at home is there like a proper way to check your balls for testicular cancer yourself absolutely absolutely so i mean you want your testicles to be relaxed the scrotum to be relaxed because in the moment it's cold or you're, you're all worked up, you're not be able to feel any lumps. So it's always best during or after a, a hot bath or shower. And all that you do is take one testicle at a time with your thumb and two fingers and slightly put pressure around and just feel around the entire testicle. So that means behind the testicle as well, um, up the spermatic cord as well. Just making sure, just familiarizing yourself um, and making sure there's no indications of a round bump that sticks out of the testicle, not the spermatical, but specifically the testicle. And that's when, if you feel something and you are concerned, you don't know what it is, I would recommend then going to go see your doctor and just have them check it out. Hmm. I might check right now while I'm on this conversation with you. <laughs> it's always best. The sooner you know, the better, right? <laughs> I'd rather have you on the phone to talk to in case I feel something. Yeah. So, for I mean, most people don't know, but what's like the treatment process like? So once you found out you did have testicular cancer, what did you have to go through in order to cure that? Um, again, um, I'll repeat it again. Everyone everyone's situation and diagnosis is unique to who they are, to their lifestyle, to what, they be, what their belief systems are. Um, for me, my, my attitude towards the entire um, diagnosis and treatment going forward was I said to the doctor, what's the fastest? What do we need to start doing now so that I can get on the road of recovery and I can start healing? I didn't want to wait um, any longer that the, this disease could take over more of my body. And for us, it was surgery, 
it was radiation as well as chemo um, because of the advanced stage. And everyone different, everyone can go from, some people have no surgery, sometimes they just have radiation or chemo, and sometimes it's just radiation, sometimes it's just chemo. Again, it's, it's depending on what stage you're diagnosed at and um, what kind of treatment you wanna choose going forward, a more aggressive treatment uh, for a sh shorter term period or longer term treatment. Um, depending on your lifestyle and what your body is capable of actually handling. Yeah, yeah. So how long did it take for you to no longer have it? Well, my treatment process itself, um, as I mentioned, was surgery, radiation, and, and chemo. So I, I went very aggressively with it. Um, I was very, very sick on it. So it was very difficult time for me to live in that world of feeling that way after being someone who had been so active their entire life. Um, but my entire treatment, and that's because I had the right attitude and headspace uh, with treatments and surgery and, and everything took about the six months until I did my last blood test and got my um, remission status. That's amazing. But and again, how long after did you, because you got it twice, right? So I, got it, so I got it twice. So I had testicular cancer and then I had developed lymphoma. Uh, a year later, so I got from my yearly blood test and I actually, I didn't really have too much of an indication that something was going on, except for, for some reason, I was, I was battling fatigue, but it was summertime here. So, you know, it's a bit hot, we all get lethargic. I didn't really think too much of it um, until the, I went for my yearly blood test and there was an indication that my accountant got, had, had uh, has, is being erratic and we did more tests and we had discovered that I had then been diagnosed with lymphoma. Uh, luckily, the second time it wasn't as invasive because I needed to have surgery, but I still needed to go through through chemotherapy. And it was only a year, so my body hadn't even healed properly from the previous treatment yet. Wow. So it was a, a completely different ball game from first diagnosis of testicular cancer to second year long treatment chemotherapy. Um, different ball game, different kind of headspace, different kind of life lesson that I learned with that round. Did they say that having testicular cancer have anything to do with getting lymphoma? Well, I mean, they can't pinpoint it, but there is a very big chance that a piece could have metastasized and moved around in the body. Yeah. Um, it, it's very much, it, it happens, but I was also warned when I, had, when I was diagnosed with testicular cancer that there will be complications within the first few years after first treatment and that I could be looking at long-term um, cancer treatments. So I was always aware that this could come up again. That is crazy. Are you a smoker? I'm not a smoker. I mean, I used to smoke um, when we were young and we were partying and, yeah, and, and stuff like that. I, I used to smoke, but the, the, there's no real indication to what would have cause the cancer because I'm the only person in my family that we know of today that has suffered with cancer and there's so many different aspects so many different theories from doctors and psychologists and stuff um you know everything from what we're putting into our bodies these days with what we're eating and the stress and the alcohol to um unresolved childhood trauma which can have a chemical reaction in the body so that's why when I always try and speak to people about being healthy it's about a holistic look at your health, looking at not just physically being healthy, but mentally being healthy, processing trauma, dealing with anxiety, dealing with all these negative things, 
which is why I am studying sports psychology is to help with that motivation, not just not of the body, but of the mind as well, which plays a huge factor in survival rates as well. Charlie, you've been through the ringer, my friend. Uh, you know, I see it like this, and I always say this, cancer is the best gift I ever survived because I thought I was living. I thought I was happy. I thought I knew what was important in life. I thought I knew where I wanted to go in life. Having cancer not once, but twice has changed who I am, my DNA completely, and has taught me that's not just about myself, and also just to live every day, happy day, learn to, when you really have something negative to say about yourself, say one thing positive. When you're worried about something, try and take control of something else. So it's all about balance in your life. And if you're not gonna have balance, these kind of diseases, you are more prone to welcome them into your life. So keep a positive attitude, boys. That's it, it's everyday work. It doesn't just happen. You know, everyone's always so like, it's easy, so easy for you to go gym. It's so easy for you to be positive, but they don't understand that it's when you open your eyes in the morning that you have to put in that work to be like, I'm going to choose to think a certain way and not let things affect me a certain way to put our positivity out there. It's everyday work. It's every single day. It doesn't yeah, stop. It's for the going rest of your to life. the gym is not the greatest time in the world. Especially <laughs> no, it's never, in the morning. If you're, if you're, if you're, if you're going to gym and, and you think, oh, it's not pretty, it's not supposed to be pretty. <laughs> it's not supposed to be pretty. Sometimes you'll see pretty people there. You want to know what's funny is I actually like, so I go to the gym usually in the morning is my, I just like wake up and go or I'll lay in bed till like 10 a.m. and do nothing. And so I go to the gym and then when I get home, I'll jerk off. It's like my reward. But like I try not to jerk off before going to the gym. Before gym. Because <laughs> yeah. then you won't go to gym. Let's be real. No. <laughs> and I've noticed I can't lift as much if I'm like, because I'm just like, you know, I'm like, Oh, I just had a great morning, you know, but it's like, no. But I mean, it's also that huge release of testosterone out the body now, and now your body has to rebuild it up again. There's a science behind it. So, I mean, that's why with a lot of professional athletes, you have that um, <clears throat> that old wives tale of, you know, they, they can't have any sex or anything like that before a game, you know? So it's to build that testosterone and that aggression up is what <laughs> the wives tell that goes around. Love to see that. <laughs> well, apparently it works so <laughs> there's method to the madness uh, well charlie let me ask you so i'm sure a lot of people are wondering after you go through testicular cancer is there any like long-term effects in terms of like reproduction or like sexually how does that sexually affect you after uh, so there's obviously scientific things that are involved you must remember after surgery or chemo, your testosterone level is going to be very, very low because your all the cells in the DNA in your body has been, not only the cancer cells that get attacked by chemo and the radiation, but it's also the good healthy cells, which include all the endorphins and the testosterone and all that kind of stuff. So it all does get affected. And the reality you need to understand is the sooner you holistically look healthy after your body and putting what it detoxing and walking is as soon as you can get that balance right again. So there is going to be, you know, a dip in, in, in your sex drive in stuff like that. And in severe cases, some people do have to remove te both testicles, severe cases, people are, do become sterile, but in many cases, especially because of early detection, someone who has testicular cancer can have children. 
you know, if it's caught early and it's treated correctly, you live a completely normal life with a completely normal yeah. hormone balance and you have a normal life with, like a man with two testicles. So again, this is why we encourage early detection because it makes your chances of a better lifestyle in the future much better. I did some research. I saw that some people who do have testicular cancer, they basically put a new implant inside of you, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so you can put a prosthetic in. Um, it's something that I did just for, <laughs> for many reasons, I guess. I guess at first it was something I didn't really like to speak about. Um, and then it became a thing of where you visually, I mean, not because you're perving on someone, but you visually look at someone in underwear or speedo and you, you not because it's fuller, just you like, they've got two, two testicles. And also coming from a perspective as a, a, a fitness model who does do photo shoots in very little underwear and speedo sometimes, it became just, I think like when I used to look down and look in the mirror, I'd be like, I don't know that I felt less of a man. I just kind of felt incomplete. Like, like I wasn't wearing both earrings. <laughs> <laughs> if, I could, if I could say it like that. Like I wasn't wearing both earrings. And it just like the moment I had the, the implants were sorted and you know, it's, it's a process because I had to get the right size. You know, it was way to heal and had to go back for surgery because you can't all do it at once. It's, I'm happy I did it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm of happy course. I did it. So you have like one would you go just call it like a fake and an, an implant, right? So you have one yeah, yeah. and then one fully ball. functioning, healthy, completely normal festival. Amazing. And it's catching up and all those extra, like all this hard work that has to do is doing a pretty good job. <laughs> <laughs> well, so after going through all this, I mean, you've been through a lot nonetheless. What's like I don't know. What's one thing you wish you knew about testicular cancer prior to getting it now, looking back on it? There's a few things, but the, the two most standout things for me that I believe, and again, like I, I don't just want to generalize when it comes just to cancer, because even though I learned this through going through cancer, I do believe that it, you can apply to many, many other different things in your life is always make sure that you have a support structure or support system no matter what, no matter what. So always be in a place where you're treating people good in your life because you're gonna need a support structure at some point to help you through really difficult times in your life. So I'm very much a person that I'm very hermit. I keep to myself. I don't really involve myself too much with drama or the outside world. Um, and at that stage, I realized doing that by not cutting people out that it was detrimental towards me having testicular cancer because I need people there. So always just make sure that you have your family. And you know, when I say family, whether it's blood or your chosen family, have your support structure. So always be kind, always have people that are genuine in your life. That is really important. Secondly, always trust your gut. Always trust your gut. So if your intuition is telling you something's wrong with your body, listen to it. So before cancer, when something would be wrong with my body, I'm like, ah, don't worry, don't worry. It'll all be sorted out. That gut feeling of knowing your body, I wish I knew it sooner because I could have changed so much more in my life going forward. So trust that gut instinct always. Yeah. Listen to your body, always. Is this something that gay men by any chance are more susceptible to or no? Not necessarily, no. I, I wouldn't say just because we're 
more active in that area or we have different kind of lifestyles that yeah. we're more prone to it. But it's anyone who's more prone to an un... Again, everyone's different. Sometimes you just have the gene or it's just activated in your body. But there are ways of making this like making yourself not susceptible to things about the chemicals you're putting into the body, how you're looking after your body, those stress levels. And that's why I say to you, like you had to learn to deal with your anxiety and learn how to deal with trauma and stuff in your life because it can be detrimental towards your physical health at a later stage. So when it comes to gay men, we as a community um, are very party and out there and, and my only message to our community and all communities is just start looking after your body better sleep more deal with anxiety more don't allow anxiety stuff into your life um and just look after your body better because one day it's not always going to be healthy and strong yeah just because you go to the gym doesn't mean you're healthy that's it exactly you're doing g on the weekend that's not Dude, that's a G on the weekend, drinking all the time, these drugs, but not just that, that pressure of that we put on ourselves as a community to, as a society, to be successful, to be the best looking, to be ripped, to have the best friends, to go on the best holidays. Like those yeah. things will come in time when you're ready. Make sure you're just dealing with any trauma, unhappiness, any feelings of unworthiness, because those creates a chemical infection affecting your body later and when you need to fight big things that are happening inside your body what's happening here is yeah and yeah can help you overcome those things and i feel like when you're a positive person more positive energy will be brought out to you you know what i mean like exactly out into the universe you will receive so if you are meant to go on that mykonos trip just put it, it out girl it will mind. happen it will happen <laughs> when you can afford it nonetheless that's it exactly make it moolah first <laughs> well charlie i hope i get to meet you one day i mean maybe once covid's over absolutely i mean i think we can all after this covid start meeting everyone around the world making more connections and being a little bit more kinder to each other you know we've all around the world gone through the same thing here so i think we can connect a little bit more which is important Yes, when you see those people that you normally don't talk to or say hi to, now you should say hi to them. Say hi, exactly. Say hi, connect with people around the world, make friends, say yes to adventures. You know, we don't know when COVID, something like this could happen again. So this is a great lesson for the world to learn to stand together a little bit more. Even when you're alone in a two by four apartment. <laughs> exactly, make it work. Look at you getting broadcast there, speaking to people, getting messages out there. And that's what it's about. And that's why I'm very, I was very much keen to do this interview because it's about individuals like yourself who are no matter what circumstance the world is throwing at us or life is throwing at us, you know, trying to get the message out there, trying to get people to connect around the world and educate people. And that's what it's really all about. So thank you very much for reaching out and contacting me to do this interview. No, anytime. I mean, even if you think of a genius idea and you're like, Jeff, I just did this this week and we have to talk about it. Just, you know, well, I like to think I'm, I like to think I'm quite the, the genius, you know, but, um, I will first touch base with you and we can see what we can speak about. But yeah, sometimes I'm, I'm most creative in the morning. So sometimes I'll wake up and I'm just like, oh my, that was such a good idea. You know, like, and, right. yeah. and then I write I'm notes on my phone and then midday my creativity is gone i'm like i'm out i'm out i'm done i'm drained it's time for a nap <laughs>
<laughs> so you caught me at a good time, Charlie. 5 p.m. your time, 10 a.m. my time. We did good today. We did good. We did good. I think we did pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to attach links for you guys in the bio of this podcast that Charlie is going to send me. And Charlie, if you got a booty pic, baby, feel free to send it. And I will. Oh, I've got plenty to share. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep it, keep it tasteful. You know, we can't get deleted. Uh, only where I roll. Only where I roll. <laughs> All right, Charlie. Well, thank you for coming on. We'll be in touch. Awesome. Thank you so much for the call, Dave.